You know, with so many things, it feels stifled right now. I am so glad that our worship is not stifled. That there is nothing that happens in this world that can obstruct true worship. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we are in part 2 of my view of missions. As you're finding your way there, I'd remind you last week we discovered that missions originated in the heart of God. It didn't originate with Southern Baptists, it didn't originate with William Carey, it didn't originate with the New Testament church, it originated in the heart of God, for God so loved the world that he gave. He was motivated by his unconditional love, and truly it had to be without condition if he was willing to pursue us, and it was necessitated by the sinful condition of the world. There was no other hope without the mission work of God. Today, we will learn that missions requires sacrifice. Missions requires sacrifice. To see this, I want us to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 18. And I would remind you that this little letter is written by the Apostle Paul. He is under house arrest in Rome. He's been there for nearly two years. He is waiting to appear before Caesar, and he is writing to a church that he started some 10 to 12 years before, and he's recently received an offering from them, a, a gift. And so he writes in these closing lines, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account." But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, notice, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it is with great joy that we hear your voice through your word today. To know that we are not alone in this world, that we are not alone in our journey of faith. To know that the God who transversed heaven and earth to come and save us is the same God who abides with us still and speaks to us through this word. Father, I pray and ask today that your burden will become our burden and that as we see your sacrifice, we would be more willing to sacrifice our own for this cause of missions. Father, I pray and ask that you would fill me afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit, that you would enable me and empower me to preach your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would move us to action on behalf of a lost and dying world. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As you read through the Bible, you cannot help but notice that there are certain prominent themes that stand out on the pages of Scripture. One of those prominent themes that you will notice from the very beginning to the end of the Bible is sacrifice. First and foremost, we see it is the sacrifice for salvation, the atoning sacrifice that is highlighted throughout the entire narrative of Scripture. For instance, the very first subtle hint you see of it is in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, we have the original sin when Adam and Eve fall from grace, they become sinful beings. And they try to cover their nakedness. They realize that they are uncovered and they try to cover it and they do the best that they can. But their covering is a temporary covering of fig leaves that will soon dry up and blow away and leave them once again uncovered. And so God has a more permanent solution. Do you remember what God did? The Bible says that he made them coats of skins, animal skins. And while the word sacrifice is not used there, there was no other way for God to make coats of animal skins if the animals were not sacrificed and give their life for that covering. From there, we see this theme of sacrifice in the life of Abel. Cain and Abel bring an offering to the Lord. Abel's sacrifice is accepted. Cain's is rejected. Cain's is of the fruit of the field that he's worked with his hands. But Abel's is the firstling of the flock. It is a blood sacrifice. We see this theme of a a substitutionary sacrifice carried out with Abraham and Isaac when God calls on Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son Isaac whom he has waited some 25 years for his birth and he lays him on that altar and he raises the knife and when he's about to plunge it in, God stops him and provides a substitute, a ram that is caught in the thicket and Once again, we see a sacrifice is made on that altar. From there, it's easy to realize that the Passover lamb in the land of Egypt is a theme of atoning sacrifices. God says every house will take a lamb of the first year without spot or blemish, sacrifice it, kill it, cut it up, put the blood on the doorpost, and when I pass through the land to judge the land, I will pass over you when I see the blood. We see it when we enter into the Levitical period with the Day of Atonement that happens every single year when thousands of those lambs are brought to the temple in Jerusalem and as they sing the Hallelujah, the sacrifices are made. But not only does Israel have an annual sacrifice, they have a biannual sacrifice, they have a triannual sacrifice, they have a monthly sacrifice, they have a weekly sacrifice, they have a daily sacrifice, they have a morning and evening sacrifice. I'm telling you, when you read through the Bible, you can't help but notice this sacrifice is everywhere and it culminates in the pinnacle of Christ's substitutionary sacrifice for us on the cross. Behold, the Lamb of God slain for the world. It's there, isn't it? But you know what's also there? There is a parallel theme of sacrifice that goes with this sacrifice for salvation, and it is a sacrifice of service. The theme of atoning sacrifice makes it very clear that there's no way for sinful people like you and I to be reconciled to God without the atonement, without the substitutionary sacrifice. 
that our sacrifices don't earn our salvation or bring us closer to God. But if we read the Bible, we can't help but notice that everybody who advanced the kingdom of God made some sort of sacrifice. Remember Noah? Out of all the people on planet earth, all those sinful people, God says, I'm going to choose you, Noah. I'm going to choose you to carry on the human race. And what does Noah do? Noah sacrifices a hundred years of his life building an ark to the mocking of his neighbors and the rest of the world. He makes a sacrifice. Abraham, who is a successful businessman from the Ur of the Chaldees, lives to 75 years old, amasses a great amount of wealth, a herd, an entire operation. At 75, God says, I'm calling you to be the father of a new nation, and I want you to leave your homeland, leave your family behind, travel 800 to 1,000 miles with this entire entourage to a place you've never been before, and I want you to settle down there. It is a sacrifice that he makes to serve God. Joseph, who is to be the instrument by which God will cradle an infant nation and incubate it into adulthood, is not taken down to Egypt in Pharaoh's chariot. He's taken down in a prisoner's wagon. He is sold into slavery. He is then sent into jail, and he is sacrificing so that he can serve God in God's agenda. We see Moses sacrifices, Daniel sacrifices to serve God. He gets thrown in the lion's den. The three Hebrew children sacrifice because they stand for God and will not bow. And they are thrown into the fiery furnace. John the Baptist sacrifices to serve God, giving his life, being beheaded for preaching the kingdom of God. The apostle Paul in our text sacrifices to serve the Lord. And even Epaphroditus, the man that was mentioned, makes a sacrifice to serve the Lord. So, I say all of that just to tell you that when God asks you to make a sacrifice like he's going to today, that's not abnormal. You're not being picked on. You're not the only one who's got to make a sacrifice. In fact, it would be abnormal for a Christian to follow the Lord God and not make any sacrifices in their life. And so I'll tell you up front, this message is about sacrifice. And along with the other sacrifices, it's about our sacrifice to help get the gospel to the world. Missions is no different. It requires a sacrifice. And I see from our text three required sacrifices for missions. Number one, missions requires the sacrifice of Christ. Missions requires the sacrifice of Christ. Everything in this text, everything in the Bible, everything in missions is predicated on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. For instance, I would point out to you that the central verse in this chapter, not because of the number of verses that precede it or proceed it, but because it is the dominant anchoring verse, is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Hey, Paul can't be a missionary if it wasn't for Christ. It's all predicated on the sacrifice of Christ. But more than that, let me point out a link to you. You know how when you're reading on the internet and there is a link in the article and it's underlined in blue and you can click on that and all of a sudden it'll open up another page, your site, and give you more information about that. 
That's what I want to do right here. Look at verse 18. Notice at the end of the verse that he says that what the Philippians gave was an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now, let's employ some Bible study tools right here. First, let's remember who the author is of this book. It is the human author is the Apostle Paul. God has inspired Paul to write this letter. Well, automatically, automatically we need to think, well, God's inspired Paul to write other letters. In fact, he wrote nearly half of the New Testament. Did Paul ever write anything like this before? And there is one place where Paul wrote something like this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so hold your place in Philippians 4 and turn back one book to Ephesians five with me if you would Ephesians 5 verse 1 says be ye followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a what to God for a sweet smelling savor notice the similar language there This is a divine connection. This idea of a sacrifice that is a sweet-smelling savor to God is Levitical language. These are the only places that you find this in the New Testament. But if you go back to the Old Testament, beginning in Leviticus chapter 1, you will find that when God prescribes that they make a sacrifice and that they burn that sacrifice on the altar, that it is a sweet smell to God. It smells satisfying to him. It it is uh, so amazing to me how that God pre-planned and equipped you and I to receive his revelation. God revealed himself in two primary ways. One is general revelation, that is by the world around us. And God gave you what you needed to observe the world around you and to see that there must be a creator. But even in his specific revelation of his word, he has pre-programmed you to be able to understand some of these things. For instance... The Bible tells us that we are created in the image of God. Now, I believe primarily that has to do with our tripart being, body, soul, spirit, and he being a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But God also employs human attributes in describing himself. Even though the Bible tells us that God is a spirit, it also says, like in our text we're going to examine tonight, that the hand of God was placed upon Moses. And so God uses that so that you and I understand what's going on here. Even though God is a spirit, just like you and I use our hands to affect change, to work, to reach in or to reach down, God does the same thing into the human life. Well, God gave you and I five senses, right? Sight, smell, hearing, taste, feel, all of that stuff. And in this one, he employs the sense of smell. And you and I know how sensitive that old beaker is right there, don't we? I mean, there's some things that we smell and we're, we're repulsed by it. I mean, some of you all have a gag reflex and you smell something, oh, you're going to start physically reacting to it. But there's other things that we smell and we're like, 
Mm, and like the cartoon, our feet lift off the ground and our nose is following that little trail of smell. You know, you walk into the house on Thanksgiving and you are just hit with this aroma, this cornucopia of smells. And, and some of those smells, man, they are pleasing. Some of them trigger thoughts and fond memories and happiness and that sort of thing. And so God gives us that tool so that we can kind of grasp at, take what we know, and reach into what we don't know. And so when we examine this in Scripture, and it says that it's a sweet-smelling savor, this sacrifice is God, it doesn't mean that it just smells good to him like cookies baking in the oven. There is a deeper meaning and implication to that, and it is the idea of it being a, 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 a fulfillment or satisfying the requirements of a righteous God. So that God could delay or pass over judgment when he caught the aroma of the Hebrew sacrifice. And that when Christ was bloodied and dying on the cross, as horrid and hard as that was for the Father to see, it was a sweet-smelling savor to him because it satisfied the righteous requirement of the law. And so this missions requires the sacrifice of Christ because the sacrifice of Christ is both the ultimate sacrifice and the undergirding sacrifice of all sacrifices. In other words, it is the ultimate. There'll be no greater sacrifice that is ever made than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because Christ's life is the highest life that ever stepped onto planet Earth and he sacrificed that life in the ultimate sacrifice. But get this, it's also the undergirding sacrifice. It is the one that lays the foundation for you and I so that when we are called upon to make a sacrifice, we look at God and we understand he knows what we are going through because he has made a sacrifice. It cost him something to send his son as a missionary into this world. Without the atoning sacrifice of Christ, missions would be impossible. Be impossible. You could still send doctors uh, around the globe and treat people's medical conditions, but you know what you're doing? You're just patching them up until they go to hell. You, you could send teams of people around the world to go drill and get good, healthy, quality water for people. And all of you're doing is improving their living standard until they die and go to hell. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no missions. And so without his sacrifice, it's impossible. But I would say this, it's improbable. I don't think it's very probable that you and I as human beings would go out and do this kind of thing if it were not what Christ did and if it were not in the nature of God. You say, well, how do you explain these unsaved people who, who give to, to buy food for children? How do you explain these people who are not affiliated with any church who make great sacrifices to go around and serve the Lord? I explain it this way. They still have the fingerprint of their creator on their conscience. And that because God is a sacrificing God... Even unregenerate humans can feel a similar burden to sacrifice for others. And so it's all predicated on the sacrifice of Christ. Number two, the second sacrifice. Missions requires the sacrifice of the missionary. Missions requires the sacrifice of the missionary. In this text, the Apostle Paul is 
the missionary. And he is writing from the mission field. He has traveled many a mile. He has preached many a sermon. He has witnessed to innumerable amounts of people. And as he writes back, he is writing this letter that is primarily focused on his love and joy for these fellow Christians. But he also happens to mention in a very low-key way that he has sacrificed. He says in verse 12, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. To be abased means to do without, to not have anything. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. That idea of being hungry is not the hunger pain that you get between breakfast and lunch or between lunch and dinner or between dinner and your evening snack. It is the hunger pain that comes from a day of missing meals knowing that you don't have the wherewithal to provide the next one either. And he says, I know how to be hungry. I know how to be full. I've learned this. I've been instructed in this because I've been taught this by experience, both to abound and to suffer need, to suffer need. To suffer need does not speak of the minimalist life, right? There's no doubt that human, that Americans have too much stuff. Dave Ramsey says we have stuffitis, and we spend all of our money on stuff, and we buy houses, and we fill it up with stuff, and we buy buildings, and we fill it with stuff, and we even sell stuff bags so we can put stuff in them. And so there's a reaction to that where we say, we're going minimalist. We're going to declutter, and we're going to get rid of the stuff, and we don't need all of it. Let me tell you, that's not what Paul said. He's not talking about going minimalist. He says, suffer need. He is saying, hey, I have actually had to exist on less than what it takes to exist. I've had to exist in suffering need. And although the Apostle Paul is very low-key in his language, he's not poor-mouthing here. He's not pandering to them. He, he, he's not plying them, trying to take up a big offering from them. We actually have the documentary of the historical narrative of Acts that informs us as to Paul's sacrifice. His sacrifice took him from his hometown. His sacrifice took him from his family. His sacrifice took him from his career. His sacrifice got him mocked and spit upon. His sacrifice got him beaten and whipped. His sacrifice got him run out of town. His sacrifice got him thrown into jail. His sacrifice got him stoned to death. And yet he is still serving as a missionary. I'm telling you, there are untold sacrifices of missionaries throughout history. For instance, the offering that we take up in December in Southern Baptist churches is named after a missionary. It's called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering for International Missions. She was born Charlotte Moon up near Charlottesville, Virginia in 1840. At the age of 18, she got saved, and she got a passion for missions. But at that time, in America and in the world, women weren't sent as single missionaries. The only way they went as a missionary was as the wife of a man who was a missionary. But then something significant happened in the 1860s in America that not just had a political impact, it also had a missional impact, and that is the Civil War. And we had the greatest number of male Americans die at one time in one decade than ever before. And all of a sudden, now 
the mission opportunities opened up and began allowing single women to be sent out as missionaries. And so Lottie Moon boards a ship in 1873 in her early 30s alone. And she takes a month-long journey to get to China where she would spend the next 40 years of her life. Not only does she do the work of a missionary and evangelize and serve and feed and help others, but she immediately begins writing letters back to the U.S. asking for more labors for the field because at the time she arrives in China, there are only six missionaries in a country of 360 million people. Lottie Moon lives through a lot of ups and downs, and in the 1890s, there's a war that breaks out between Japan and China. And then following that, there is a boxer rebellion where the government is overthrown. And because of all that upheaval and disturbance and restructuring, the nation of China begins to suffer greatly and they go into a great famine. And through all of that, Lottie Moon stays. And as she is serving there, her income has not been affected because it's coming from the United States. And she has money to buy food and to live on. But as she is ministering to those around her, she cannot bear the thought that she has food to eat and they have none and so at first she began sharing some of her money and some of her food and as it got worse and worse she began giving greater amounts of food and money away than she was keeping so much so that when some of her fellow missionaries finally came to check on her they found her in such a sickly condition that she weighed 50 pounds 73 years old She weighs 50 pounds because they found she had been giving away all of her food and her money to the Chinese that she was trying to reach. They immediately get her on a ship to try and get her back to America. But sadly, she never makes it. She dies on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 1912. She literally gave her life as a sacrifice for missions. That's one missionary story. Now, granted, not all missionaries are called to a life of suffering and death, but every missionary goes to the field, makes sacrifices to get there. They sacrifice by leaving their homeland. They sacrifice by leaving their families. They sacrifice by leaving this land of opportunity where we have a greater chance of making success greater than most any other country in the world. They sacrifice holidays with grandparents and with grandchildren. They sacrifice uh, this convenience of being able to to be around the people that they love. They sacrifice a learning a new culture. They sacrifice learning a new language. They sacrifice in loneliness, oftentimes not having people around that are the close relationships like they had. And so missions requires the sacrifice of the missionary. But thirdly, missions requires the sacrifice of the giver. Missions requires the sacrifice of the giver. Verses 10 through 13, the Apostle Paul speaks about himself. In verse 14 through 18, he begins speaking to the Philippians, those people to whom he is writing. And he says, notice in verse 15, verse 14, Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now, that word communicate, we have narrowed it down to simply mean talk. In this usage, it means a shareholder, somebody who takes on partnership. And so he's writing to the Philippians and he says, Hey, I want to praise you because you 
have come alongside of me and you have partnered with me to help me in my affliction. You have helped me carry the burden that God has given to me. He goes on and he says in verse 15, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only." And so he says, hey, when I left you guys after I started the church and I left and continued on my missionary journey, you all were the only church that gave financially to help me out. Now, we need to understand a little bit of geography here to understand what's going on. Macedonia is in the modern-day country of Greece. It is in the north part of this peninsula. Philippi was the largest city there, so Paul goes to Philippi first. After he plants the church, he leads Lydia, the seller of purple, to the Lord. He leads the demon-possessed girl to the Lord. He leads the Philippian jailer to the Lord. He gets a church established. He goes from there, and he begins to follow the coast, and he goes to the next town, which is Thessalonica. And we read about that in, in uh, Acts chapter uh, 17. And there he preaches the gospel, and then they reject him. And he leaves there, and he goes on down to Berea. And he is there. Remember, they were more noble than the Thessalonians. They would study the scriptures. He goes from there down to Athens. Athens was not very receptive. He is very grieved with how pagan they were. And then from there he goes down into the south into Achaia to the city of Corinth and he spends a year and a half there. And so when he leaves, the Philippians make the sacrifice of giving. And watch this. In the beginning, you were the only ones that gave to me. So they sent him out with a gift. They made a sacrifice. We're going to help Paul get the gospel there. When he is in Thessalonica and Berea, it says that they sent once and again. That's at least two more times that they sacrificed to send offerings to him. When he gets down into Corinth, he actually receives an offering from them. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 through 9. He's writing to Corinthians and he says, When I was with you, I didn't ask you for anything. When I had a need, I didn't bring it to you. He says, In fact, I received wages from the churches in Macedonia who sent it to me. So let's count. We've got one when he leaves, two, three in Thessalonica, four in Corinth. And then verse 18, he says, I've just received a gift from you all that was brought to me by Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a member of the church of Philippi. He would have had to make a great sacrifice because it was a 600-mile journey from Philippi to Rome by land and by sea. It would have taken him at least three months to travel there. When he gets there, he is serving Paul and he gets sick and nearly dies and has to spend that time in recovery. And then it takes him three months to travel back to bring this report back to the Philippians. And so these Philippians have sacrificed to give and to support Paul. And this is part of the requirement of missions. And by the way, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, they didn't do it because they were flush with money. They didn't do it because they were the top 1% of the income earners. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul describes their economic situation and he says, you were, in a you were in a trial of affliction and you were in deep poverty. I mean, in fact, they were either in an economic recession or an economic depression is what is more likely. And in that economic situation, they believed in the mission of missions so much that they were willing to sacrifice and to give. And how does God view it? Verse 18, 
Paul says, but I have all and I abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell in the nostrils of God, we could say, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And so God himself says that this is a sacrifice, but it is a sacrifice that pleases him. It's not a sacrifice that earns you salvation. That is free. That was given to you because of the sacrifice of Christ. But this is a sacrifice that you can give back to the one who sacrificed his all. Do you know what's astounding to me? And this really is the most amazing part about this text and that is their sacrifice of giving is described with the exact same Greek phraseology as the sacrifice of Christ in Ephesians 2, 5, 2. How is that possible? How is that possible and how is that equitable? I mean, you can search your entire Bible, you can search the entire New Testament, and you will find no other place in the entire New Testament where the Bible says that this sacrifice is a sweet-smelling savor unto God, except in reference to the sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of giving of the Philippians. How is that possible? How is that equitable? Because the sacrifice of Christ is the supreme sacrifice. He is sacrificing his life. He didn't have to leave heaven and come to this earth and be beaten and rejected and mocked and spit upon and nailed to a cross and then publicly hanged with an audience until he died. He didn't have to do that, but he made a sacrifice. I understand how that that was a sweet-smelling odor in the nostrils of God. But how is me giving a few bucks to missions on the same par with that? Well, the sacrifice of giving enables the missionaries, to take the gospel of Christ's sacrifice to the lost world. You see, Christ made the sacrifice in dying for our sins and providing the propitiation that is needed. But then God called upon you and I as Christians, as the church, to make sure that the world, the nations, the peoples, the tribes, every language, every people group hears about the sacrifice of Christ. That cannot happen if we don't sacrificially give. And I would say in light of the sacrifice of Christ and in light of the sacrifice of the missionaries, we can at least make a financial sacrifice. I mean, by comparison, it is the least costly sacrifice. It doesn't cost you your lifeblood to give money to missions. It doesn't cost you your life's work to give to missions. It costs you a few dollars. And you know, you're going to look at your bank account, you're going to look at your Christmas list, and you're going to look at your debt, and you're going to say, I can't afford to give. And I say to you, you can't afford not to give. Because if I haven't learned anything about God, It is that you cannot out-sacrifice God. You cannot 
outgive God. God will be debtor to no man or no woman. So I am telling you, everything in your unregenerate nature, your flesh is going to say, I can't give anymore. And by the way, this sacrificial giving is not just switching what you give in your tithe over to the Lottie Moon Christmas Fund. This idea of sacrificial giving is above and beyond that. And your flesh is going to resist it. But can I tell you this? God guarantees to reward it. Do you know what Paul says to the Philippians in verse 19? These people who have given out of deep poverty and a great trial of affliction. You know what he has the audacity to say to them? He says in verse 19, But my God, my God, shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You know what's interesting? The word need in verse 19 is the same Greek word as necessity in verse 16. Paul said, you gave to meet my needs, and when you give to meet my needs, God will give to meet your needs. And I can't explain to you how it works. I just know it works. We have proven it. My wife and I proved it for 11 years as church planters in Colorado. We have seen God provide when we were faithfully faithful to give sacrificially. And so I just want to remind you, this is how we as Southern Baptists fund our missions work. We have over 3,600 missionary families on foreign fields. Those missionaries gave the gospel to over 500,000 people last year. Nearly 90,000 of those people accepted Christ as their Savior. These missionaries gave theological training to over 30,000 nationals. And they planted 12,000 new churches. And I'm telling you, the only way that this is possible is because of Southern Baptists like you who made a personal financial sacrifice and gave to missions. Look at We know the sacrifice that Christ made. We know the sacrifices that the missionaries made. The only question is, what sacrifice will you make for missions? Would you bow with me? So we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. I cannot apologize to you for asking you to make a sacrifice because it's not I who is asking, it is God in His Word. And if we were just trying to collect money to build a new building or to buy a new van, I would never think to put pressure on you for that. But we are talking about getting the gospel to the world. We are talking about being obedient to our biblical command to preach the gospel into all the world. There is no other way for us to do this. Why would we squander the sacrifice of Christ? Why would we uh, squander the sacrifice of the missionaries by not sacrificing a few dollars to get the gospel to the world? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would have your will and your way in our lives. 
I pray, Lord, that we would give some time and attention to this. I pray that we would dedicate some prayer to this. I pray that we would take those prayer guides and that we would actually pray for our missionaries, that we would pray for them as they fight spiritual battles, as they fight loneliness, as they try to raise families in a foreign culture and all the challenges that come. I pray that we would pray for them deeply and earnestly, but also hope, Lord, that we would pray and ask you, What sacrifice do you want me to make for missions? And may we be attentive and obedient to what you lead us to sacrifice. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.